Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. This is episode 91. It is 2023, and Hunter Ginn is still doing this thing with me. So uh, thanks for hanging in for 91 episodes, man. <laughs> I'll at least be here for 100. Oh, oh, I see. At, at, at least. I see. Okay. At 101, man. All bets, are, all bets are off. All bets are off. So we took a little bit of a break over the holidays, as everybody tends to do. Uh, we have missed this, and uh, yeah, I, I, I for one have a hard time believing we're even at ninety-one. But here, Thank here we go. Here we go. Thank you for everybody's contributions to this podcast, and that means the listeners primarily who are excited about it still and contact us on a regular basis about this and that, and of course all the freaks who share their playlists on the Facebook page. That's become a, a thing in and of itself. Um, that's uh, yeah. That's one of my favorite outcomes from this entire enterprise really oh sure it's just and and, and two it, it it sort of confirms uh the kinship that we all have definitely and and you know what what a great span of music and artists that um mm. that radical research followers listen to you know we're all birds of a feather so to speak and um yeah the, the whole the whole thing is pretty rewarding if you want to contribute to our cause, there are two main ways to do it. Uh, you can simply drop a PayPal donation to the PayPal ID of radicalresearchpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also write us at that email address if you like. And then the other way is to buy something from the store on radicalresearch.org. We have my second and third books, Soul and Fire and Destination Onward there. Soul and Fire being the Peter Steele biography, Destination Onward being the Fates Warning biography. Those are always available at RadicalResearch.org. We have Hunter's, uh, some of Hunter's band's Canvas Solaris CDs for sale. I think we have a couple sizes of the metal shirt still available. And we just added something really exciting. I'm going to let Hunter talk about it, but um, his journal, his magazine his uh, whatever you want to call it hunter uh deserts of hex I'm, and i i have uh looked at it and i cannot wait to dive in and read it and we'll we'll be putting those up for sale by the time you hear this so hunter please tell us a little bit about deserts of hex so yeah i mean it, it's sort of a it, it's it, hard for me to categorize it it looks like a journal it kind of feels like a journal i feel like i'm a bit up my own ass by calling it a journal, but um, it, it is an aspirational piece of work that I have done in very strong collaboration with Thomas Clark, who is an old friend of the podcast and writes for uh, Diabolique, doing uh, the film reviews. He's into a lot of weird transgressive Italian and uh, Japanese cinema and also just a very, very well-heeled and devoted listener to the kind of music that we all love. And he and I decided to, to put something that we had in mind conceptually for a while into uh, a material form. And we invited my dear old friend, Ryan Madsen, friend from childhood, and he, uh, he is a professor at the Savannah College of Art and Design, has a lot of really interesting fetishes that uh, lit themselves to, <laughs> to the, um, the experience of deserts. And he, he helped with the, he didn't help with, he essentially did the layout for the magazine and also uh, Forest Pitts, another 
dear friend of this podcast, but also a writer for Decibel. And, and really, he, he well, he curated one of our episodes. And um, if you've been a listener of this podcast for any time, you know that Jeff and I hold Forrest in a, a particular esteem, one yes. of the really unique minds in our experience. It's essentially a, a long form essay format. Um, we've got pieces on Solifold, on Devil Doll, uh, Red House Painters, uh, Vatislav Delay, and I had the the genuine privilege of interviewing Shiver, the uh, the arcane archivist himself, <laughs> um, and that was a a real a real joy uh, for me to try to get into his head a little bit. We'll be selling those for thirteen dollars a piece plus shipping. And considering the bulk of the material, I think that's a, a fair price. Yeah. I mean, uh, as anyway, somebody, yeah. yeah, no, no, I was going to say as somebody on the outside of it, I mean, obviously I'm, I know you well and, and I'm, I'm a little biased, but I've always encouraged you to write more and more and more because what, what you have written over the last 20 years that I've known you uh, has been stellar. And, and I just don't think you've had uh, a regular outlet for it. Mm. Um, so you know, listeners of this podcast will know how astute you are and how intelligent, and uh, it comes across so well on deserts, throughout deserts. Like I said, I've only skimmed it, uh, but I, you did give me a little sneak on something uh, a while back, and I read it, and it's 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 brilliant. And uh, like I said, I'm biased, and I feel like you know I have only good reasons to try to sell the thing too. But no, honestly, it's it's um it's really welcome in this house where things like the later Istin issues and Bardo methodology are not on a literal pedestal, but I should probably have a pedestal for those print issues. And I would put Deserts of Hex right up there. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure I will be firm in that belief, even after I've closed the cover on it. And it's, and it's beautiful. Uh, the work your friend did uh, on the graphics uh, is in keeping and in parallel with the quality of the writing and the quality of your subjects. So uh, really happy to have this thing out there. And I hope it continues for a good long time. Uh, well, you're, you're going to be a part of the second one. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm completely honored, man, because you are, uh, you know, not to get all romantic, uh, you know, privately, publicly, but, you know. <laughs> Big reason I do this, man. Well, so. good. I mean, hey, man, it's um, it, it it's an honor right back at you. Uh, All right, well, let's not start sucking each other's dicks quite yet, and let's get into some atheist here. <laughs> a Pulp Fiction reference is a good way to a good way to start the morning. And actually, this is the the earliest we've ever recorded. We started at ten thirty. So yeah, um, about the time that the wolf showed up. About the time, exactly. That's it was yeah. what. Yeah, we, that was on purpose, wasn't it? <laughs> Completely, yeah. Completely, you an, oak, you an oak man, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm an oak man. I'm an oak man, and I think these boys from Florida are oak men from Sarasota. We're going to be looking at the works of, <laughs> of uh, Ravage. Of course, Ravage changed their name pretty quickly to Atheist, but this band, whose core uh, was Roger Patterson, Steve Flynn, uh, Kelly Schaefer, and Rand Berkey began Ravage in 84, 85. Rand wasn't there quite yet. He came in quite late to the Ravage situation. And I think there was another few members back in the early days, but it's kind of pointless to even mention them because they didn't really contribute to the recordings. Mm -hmm. um, but Atheist in general, uh, their, their entire output, uh, especially, of course, the three core albums from the 90s, uh, late 80s and 90s, 
are just so, so, so foundational for both of us. And I, we're going to try to convey why uh, with our, with our song selections. And this band, like a lot of bands had a pretty humble start. They were of course influenced by all the, the great thrash and early death metal from the mid eighties. And I kind of liken their early stuff to sadists in the sense of how raw mm. and savage it is and, and untra- so. untrained and untamed. So we're going to listen to a bit from the Ravage demo on We Slay from 1987 and a song called Brain Damage, which incidentally landed on the Raging Death compilation of that same year uh, that also featured Executioner, which turned into Obituary, of course, and Sadus was on that compilation. The second song we're going to listen to is a song called Choose Your Death from their Beyond demo after they changed their name to Atheist, and that's from 1988. Humble Beginnings. That will be drawn into to sharp relief uh, in, in short order. Yes. Destination. This was the life which happened to me. 
as we said before we played these comparably raw relative to the stuff that we're about to get into but even on brain damage with the savagery and the the primitive production still very very convincing mm-hmm. and 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 very focused for a band that age i mean they were a young young band that had a lot of uh intention in in what they were doing already yeah they're in their late teens uh, i'm just kind of average age really and before we go any further we should mention uh i slipped up a little bit mark schwartzberg is the uh other guitarist who also plays leads on the ravage demo and we slay mm. it was it was only after this came out that ran berkey joined i believe and then of course we do have the core and let's let's name them ran berkey on guitar uh roger patterson on bass <sighs> gone mm. too soon i can't i can't say his name without saying that he's very much yeah, a cliff no. burton yeah, a cliff burton much. in that way incredible talent uh steve flynn on drums speaking of incredible talents <laughs> i can't wait to hear your thoughts more in depth on this guy as we go along as as a great drummer yourself flynn is one of the greatest uh, and then kelly schaefer on guitars and vocals uh linchpin of ravage atheist um the other thing i want to say about ravage which is right along with what you're saying even if they had never done piece of time even if they had never you know recorded albums and they kind of came out 35 years later was some, you know, demo comp, like a time ghoul sort of thing where mm-hmm. like, Hey, remember this man, they would have been significant in the sense yeah. of when they were happening, 87, 88 formed in 85, obviously, and had a really early demo in 85 that I don't know if I've ever actually listened to that rotting in mm-hmm. hell. And no, I've, never, I've never heard it. No, I'm really curious about it because none and of I, I mean, I I've never been able to, I, but it's been a long time since I've actually looked for it certainly that's on it's that's on me so yeah oh it it has to be now yeah but um so maybe maybe that'll be a 0.5 that would be fun to listen to some of rotting in hell what i like about it in its historical context where it sits uh it's just schaefer flynn and patterson by the way none of the songs made it to the first atheist album it's one of those demos where like yeah this is this is super super primordial it's only in comparison to what we know came later that this looks more primitive and youthful right you know? by 88 uh the and the beyond demo like i remember you know reading zines at the time and and sort of just being around everything at the time and there was so much buzz on this band that's really kind of to put it lightly like when their demos started coming out as atheist hell hath no mercy and especially the beyond demo from mm-hmm. 88 people were so so all about it and as we know in hindsight you know bands like the guys in at the gates were listening intently nuts um, about it yeah yeah i mean and that's just one band that was of many in europe especially that were like really inspired by i, I suspect that that sentenced were listening very closely to <laughs> the guys that made north from here yes uh, yeah that is <laughs> that is so atheist but then they they have a weird label history too, because their initial signing was with active records in europe which as i recall they had uh uh, maybe early Candlemas, Hexen House, Anacruzis. Sure. Um, but in the U.S., it was picked up by Death Records, which was a subsidiary of Metal Blade. Like, why wasn't it good enough for Metal Blade in 1990? Yeah, sure. seriously. <laughs> like, why did it have to end up on Death Records? No, no idea. Uh, we got to jump to this. This is uh, this is such an incredible album, and I can't wait to talk about it after we check out the opening title track, Piece of Time. Piece of Time. 
Pizza time. Yeah. Pizza uh, time. Eula Garrett was the first one that brought that to my attention. Now I can't hear it any other way. And it's a little annoying, but I appreciate it. You, 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 appreciate... you told me about that years ago. Yeah. And ever since then, I just call it pizza time. Well, it's Eula's fault. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, thanks, Eula. <laughs> Love him. Okay. Pizza time. Pizza time. about a man putting its best foot forward <laughs> i mean yeah. you were hearing a huge evolutionary leap you're hearing uh, a lot of practice boy they yeah, had, yes. boy, they just got so sharp on all their instruments I and mean, they really and we have to talk about roger patterson in a minute yeah i mean it's the the result of both individual and group practice i imagine i see those guys shedding at home alone and then i see them in one of those warehouse spaces in Tampa, sweating it out, you know, all summer long. And just great chemistry. It's a shame that yep. this lineup didn't get to do like four or five more albums throughout the 90s, because I think they were like like a rush, like an early kiss, like, like so many bands you can name. They were all about chemistry. Like it mattered who was in the band. Like it, they, I, I, I think at this stage, this is the core atheist and the one that, defines atheists and they all have personality on their instruments and i suspect that and, and again this is you know clearly speculative but as with metallica had cliff burton lived 
Mm. Had Roger Patterson lived, the, the morphology of those bands would have probably uh, resulted in, in in different things somehow. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, because because like you say, yeah. you're talking about really core members and, and guys with very, very strong personalities, but also with, you know, chemistries that that really really worked together oh yeah oh yeah and uh, you know and you're right to bring in metallica for many reasons but that was the same thing with that quartet uh the police i mean you know there are bands that where Mm -hmm. where this core is it and and you can move from that you can move beyond that if you have to certainly these two bands were forced by horrible premature death right um right but i and that leads us to patterson i listening to that snippet from peace of time the song peace of time even when he's doing what the bassist core duty is, which is just simply follow the rhythm in a lower octave and, and you know, obviously with the bass texture, when, even when he's doing that basic thing, like he has personality, he's mm-hmm. really ripping into it. He's mm-hmm. kind of on top of the rhythm sometimes. He's kind of leading the way a little bit. If you just put your ear to Roger on any part of this album, he's adept as hell. Yeah, Steve DiGiorgio is the only other bassist in metal, to my mind, that can rival Patterson in terms of both ferocity and finesse. And I think there's a reason that, you know, you and I, of course, but many people sort of volley back and forth between atheist and sadist. Hmm, um, sure. Because yeah. you have that, that, you know, that balance there. There is similarity. I think they've always had a peer or parallel sort of relationship uh, because of their sound, for one, you know, because they don't fall sure. squarely into death metal, they don't fall squarely into thrash, and they also took from outside metal. Period. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. atheists more so than sadists, but um, it did seem like sadists were probably broad listeners. Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, you know, the last record they recorded, you know, with Roadrunner, I and mean, right in that, you know, that early '90s uh, zeitgeist, it showed a band that was sort of. You know, I always thought A Vision of Misery was a, a bit of a compromised album. Mm-hmm. Um, it never sounds like a band that's fully comfortable with with what it's doing or doesn't fully commit to what it's doing. But yes. uh, it's clearly the work of a band that has aspirations beyond just that sort of seething you know, yes. death thrash sound. That's the album that shows it. And you're right. It's not a perfect album. It's a little bit like a Shades of God, which I adore by Paradise, right. by Paradise Lost. But it's kind of... You know, most people consider that transitional or a band not quite getting to that next step yet. And Cynic is in this conversation because they're from Florida. Obviously, Sadus were California, but Atheist being Florida, Cynic was around at this time and very much uh, rubbing off on Atheist as Atheists were on Cynic. That feeds into the next album lineup wise, too. But anyway, yeah. Wow. Uh, have we had enough hyperbole here yet? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We're we're not going to talk the rest of the show. We're just going to play the music, and you know, you uh, come to your own conclusions. And if we do talk, it will be <laughs> hyperbole. I'm just warning yep. you. <laughs> and speaking of which, I love uh, you. You picked this one, "Unholy War." This mm. is the, this is the entire song. This is just a little over two minutes, and this is where that <laughs> ferocity really um, rears its head. I just love. You know, well, part. and and that's why I picked it because it is just so unhinged but also so in control tight yep shit's tight shit is about to get tight and controlled and ferocious this is all two minutes and 18 seconds of unholy war (laughs) 
I mean, what 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 do you say? Nothing. Yeah. Let's just, yeah, nothing. How about we just do two minutes and 18 seconds of silence in tribute to Unholy War? <laughs> so much intensity, but also so much finesse. It's the beauty of atheist. That's it. It is. And, yeah. And, it, yeah. And, and it's the thing. And I, I really would like to talk about this in a little bit because I feel like atheist is a very, I don't, I don't think they are anymore. But I think back then they were a very misunderstood band. Oh yeah, they're they're more they occupied. Yeah, and and I, I'd like to get into that because I, I I don't think that like raging deathheads could understand them, and I don't think that people that were into progressive metal could understand them. Like they occupied this super liminal space that was really frontier territory and, and, and really visionary, but I, they got passed over, you know, because of their vision. You had to have values that were in the minority of metal listeners at the time. And I, yeah. that's why they were perfect for me. Cause I was always, you know, I loved Queensryche and Fate's Warning in the eighties, still loved them in, in 89, 90, 91. Same with all the crazy fucking extreme death and thrash of the eighties. That was morphing yep. into the 90s and it just and getting into a little a really just early seeds of being interested in music outside of uh, of this return to forever or king crimson or early ones so they're more renowned now they they yeah. are one of those bands that like yeah the hype was on for peace of time no question uh but i think there's a lot of reasons that that didn't stick very long uh one of them being death metal's prominence in the early 90s a very right. different kind of death metal than what atheists did and just different you know things with their music and imagery yeah and then like it's one of those bands that in hindsight a lot of people go oh wow uh that was ahead of its time and i don't want to use that term lightly but that phrase works here it does you know and i feel like cynic was so outside of everything else yep it, you know and i know they they had trouble too but like atheist was still always super metal oh yeah yeah i mean but, like right right you, you know what i mean like Cynic was so far beyond anything. And we're talking so focus. alien. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah, because focus but, by the time we're talking out, about like, yeah, and it will, I guess I'm talking about focus uh, relative to unquestionable presence. Like focus was so other and, you know, unquestionable presence was still like very, very metal. Sure. And I, I just feel like atheist got the short end of the stick. On but hold on. Unquestionable Presence was two years earlier than Focus. If Cynic had put out an album in 91, yeah. it would have been way more intense, way more full-on metal seeding than Focus turned out to be. And there were sure. reasons that Focus by 93 uh, was already bringing in elements that Atheist only got close to on elements. But even then, it was not as incorporated. Uh, they were still so much more intense than Cynic. Probably everyone, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, but it's an interesting thing. These are, these are, I guess we're just going off on these two bands right now because they are such companion bands. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, this is my life, man. Oh, and it's our life. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> we, we, like, this, this is pretty much the hill I die on. So please pardon my incoherence because yeah, my, my brain waves are pretty much overloaded right now. It's the kind of shit we wake up thinking about, right? Before the Hell days yeah, of, it is. before the days events. It's like, mm, mm hmm, yes. Fuck, the, fuck the days events. Fuck the day. 
<laughs> Before we move on to Unquestionable Presence and play yet another one from Peace of Time, I wanted to mention the uh, album cover. Normally, this would not work for me because we see we hold on, we see not only an hourglass, which is kind of a metal cliche, we have a clock inside of it, uh, kind of an old timey clock face, also kind of a metal cliche. And and, and in both worlds, that that's huge um, in that in that cheesy ass prog metal '90s world. Right. Of the kind of third rate symphony x bands you know what i mean yep symphony x not third rate i meant bands that were trying right to right play. sure 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 yeah, and yeah. then but this is not it this is not it <laughs> yeah, your, your, your troubles don't end there your troubles don't end there because now we have sand <laughs> dripping from the falling from the clock inside the hourglass onto stonehenge yeah now Stonehenge yeah. has a problematic history in hard rock and metal, as everybody knows. I mean, Black Sabbath and Aerosmith obviously used that motif either on tour or on album covers right around the time that this is Spinal Tap came out. <laughs> and it's really one of the most I'm a I'm a ridiculous Spinal Tap fan. I literally yeah. have seen that thing over 40 times. And fuck the uh, napkin. <laughs> fuck fuck <I'm>, the napkin. <laughs> you, you and I have probably watched that at <sighs> least five times and i oh, used yeah. to have a spinal tap poster over my bed when i lived in winston-salem <laughs> so yeah i have five t-shirts my favorite your, which... your your ability to recall the minutiae of the limo driver dialogue oh, yeah 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 blow, always blows me away <laughs> When he's talking about Frank Sinatra, yeah, no, no, no and one, Sammy has, Davis Jr. Yeah, no one has like internalized the uh, the limo driver stuff like you have. Oh, thank you, thank you. Anyway, um, yeah, so so it's a weird cover, but I don't know. Despite all that, it works for me. Maybe it's the awesome logo on top of it, which is just one of my favorite metal logos. Well, yeah, your your I, thoughts on the cover and logo? Well, I ne I never think about it in that context, and and you know that I've like i'm not a fan of you know post dream theater prog metal and i feel like that whole lexicon has been cannibalized over and over and over but for, for some reason when i see that cover i don't even think about it no i but that's the same thing for that, me that, 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 so like i don't understand how that's possible it's be like you know if you're uh if your kid was a serial killer and be like right. oh you know what he was a good boy yeah 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 maybe you know he ate you know some guy's testicles i don't know some guy but but but, <laughs> but he he was a good boy like that's how i feel about it right and I, I think maybe, perhaps i'm in denial I mean, that's the thing. I what it represents is greater than that silly image or potentially silly image. But at the same time, like it represents something because the music's so great, the logo's so great, and the rendering of the art is good. I mean, it's it, you know, it's very good. I can't recall who does it. If it's anybody, we should know. Dude, it's Ed Repka. What? It's Ed Repka did the cover, and it's not typical of Repka either. Uh, obviously not. There's no monsters or like you know post-nuclear meltdown or whatever the sky's getting close to pink though so mm. he's done a couple mm. pink covers mm. yes anyway we, i was gonna say if it was like a cover by like you know lemur voice i <laughs> it'd, be a, it'd be a problem but 
I was going to say Ivanhoe, but I'll, I'll, I'll see you I'll... on the Lehman voice and raise you <laughs> and raise you a uh, steel attack. Oh, wait, that, <laughs> it's not really about frog metal, but uh, I try to sneak in steel attack. In All right. Episodes. Let's let's get on with it. So let's listen to uh, the, a bit from the final track from Piece of Time called No Truth. And we are going to jump from that immediately into the title track from their second album, Unquestionable Presence, mm. do a little A-B of, of the progress in just about a year sadly sadly patterson has passed by this time in the horrible mm -hmm. road accident and they bring in about the best guy you probably could in that position tony Choi from cynic was a member of cynic at the time this is no truth and unquestionable presence
that's pretty much the apex <laughs> of metal up to that point as far as i'm concerned dude the be- the people that didn't get it then that get it now i mean they need to beg forgiveness to all of us who were into it then because what were you not hearing <laughs> i mean the, <laughs> i mean like come on metal had not there was nothing more advanced more futuristic and more visionary than that at the time not in this realm not nope. at, certainly not in this realm of florida uh death metal thr- you know everybody knows where we're at here in 91 mm-hmm. um so yeah also a scott burns production which one of his best really one of his best and one of his most atypical of him uh but yeah. again he's working with a band that's atypical of true even their peers so yeah i mean this this album just hits all the right buttons i've i've loved it since it came out i <laughs> i love it as much today if not probably more i always love and again it's about the music ultimately but i was always loving the album cover because it felt oh, God, so different so different than whatever else was out I there with it. a logo yeah. like that and music like this yeah. it, it, and as an atheist myself i was always curious like what what are they saying? They're called it. I was always like wondering about that too. And I'm, uh, as you know, not an atheist. Right. Um, and, but, and it, I was always wondering what unquestionable presence. Right. I mean, it, it also yeah. <laughs> to be opposite of, of, yeah. the opposite yeah. of atheist. It could be the praying boy, the praying child on the front. And it's obviously very cosmic that, you know, everything's reaching out into the vast cosmos here so he's maybe praying that there's an unquestionable presence out there but perhaps this is where the doubt and the angst and every, everything else that comes with doubt regarding a sure. higher power sure. you know maybe maybe that's the despair that they're trying to put across or or the the essence of the cosmos itself like we're just tiny 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 things or just the like the great uncertainty of it all really absolutely absolutely so so yeah, these guys are like in the early 20s conveying this in Florida <laughs> in Florida death metal. I love it. And and as we hear the music just backs that up. And I so everything about it. I just, you know, the 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 picture of the band in, in the um in the grass. Oh, I love that. Oh, it's one of my favorite band pictures. Yeah. That it probably like okay, that the Black Sabbath picture that you have on your wall. Oh, from Ma- um, the Master of Reality. Yeah, poster. yeah. And yes. um the opeth picture from orchid those might be my those might be my three favorite band photos oh that's a very cool subject uh the the opeth one is the silhouettes right yeah you don't know what they look like yeah it's got the sunset yeah yeah yeah. oh my god yeah that's that's hitting all the right buttons for me um so let's get back into unquestionable presence this is um all right some really fantastic stuff. Let's do both Incarnations, Dream, and Psychic Saw together. What do you All say? Right. Let's do okay. it.
without words <laughs> really have nothing intelligent to say about any of this is it this is pretty much metal brought to its apotheosis i mean obviously anyone who knows me knows that like my metal religion sort of spins on the axis of control and resistance unquestionable presence human and focus and it's impossible to rank any of them against each other but when i hear this and i don't listen to it very often anymore because i've listened to it so often <laughs> right but taking a little time away from it um just reveals all of its genius yeah well like i said and and, and these are like the, this is the way it is for the best albums by the best bands, but um, it does get better and better. Not even to talk about aging, but it just, it gets better and better once you, yep. because I, I still hear some nuances and I still hear some shifts that 
if I'd heard them before and was aware, I'd maybe forgotten about them and just like all the details. Cause I, I this is a band of details for sure. Absolutely. Uh, the writing, the playing, uh, everything about them. And I, I hear those details kind of flower every, with every listen, they just come out brighter or, or I, or there's a, there's a nook and cranny over here that I didn't like mm-hmm. pay attention to before. And Choi, man, again, tough shoes to fill, but he, he, very capably does it. Um, there are some demos That's floating good. around of Patterson playing the um, a good part of the album. Um, yeah, they're on Spotify. Yeah, in demo form. The relapse reissue yeah. that came out included that. In fact, I would. Here's the thing. <laughs> I have two copies. I have the the run of three Atheist albums on CD twice, and I don't do that often. I know a lot of people do that as kind of a regular thing, but I tend to not do that. Like if I have the what I consider a definitive CD version, I don't need another version. You know, mm-hmm. um, I have four versions of Bloody Kisses, but that's also a thing. <laughs> yeah, well, you wrote the definitive biography of. Well, no, you know, not well, not even that. I mean, sure, if you want to say that, but I really it was more because I'm such a huge fan. Yeah, um, of the album, there are two different versions, as you know, that you and I don't agree on in terms of the the quality of one versus the other. But uh, well, the quality is always high. But but anyway, all I'm saying is like I was like I could justify having two versions of each. I have two versions of each of these atheist albums because the relapse reissues are just that good, um, especially with all the bonuses. These are um, unlike a lot of reissues. These are qualitative bonuses. You get a lot of good stuff that uh, you should want if you're a huge atheist fan. And then that can't get rid of the original death records versions and of course the metal blade version of elements can't get rid of them it's just impossible to like shed an atheist cd like it doesn't doesn't feel right i feel sad and dirty if i were to do that uh i've got the cd version i've got my original cassette version and then i've got the box set vinyl version oh you have the box set i do too yeah Uh, yeah yeah well there we go (laughs) we clearly have a problem Uh, yeah so um obviously I also wanted to, we have to mention Rush right now because the band were, you know, just vocally huge fans. And I think you hear that a lot throughout their career, but you hear that especially on this album and especially for me and Steve Flynn's drumming. There's, um, Mm. what Puritisms do you hear? Yeah, let's talk about Steve Flynn. Sure. He, the guy was a god to me and and to most people. Nobody had heard metal drumming quite like that before. He's kind of pre-Reinert in that sense. He is, and he it's unfair to compare him to Reinert because I feel like they are two very, very different drummers. They are. And and Reinert is as a drummer, and I say this with due respect to Flynn, Reinert's definitely the superior. He's just his technique's better. Um, he's more fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, but again. I don't mean that as a diminution of Steve Flynn's playing. Steve Flynn is one of the greatest rock metal drummers of all time. And that guy was exploring conceptual areas that no drummer before him was. I was going to say, I, I've always thought of him as somebody that has great imagination. He does. He is an incredibly imaginative drummer. He took sort of, you know, like Neil Peart, and Rick Kalaluka and sort of subsume those things into a death thrash context. Yep. Yep. And capably. So I am also a fan of his like really quick fill. Like, it, Oh yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is he, he, he sticks fills in places where they could barely fit. 
you you say that and I think of Peart Neil Peart yet again where and you know who I think you know he was the film master Peart was a film master and 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 I'm getting way off track here but I, yeah, I tell you like someone that I think is sort of an heir to that mm -hmm. is a prescriptor from Absu. Oh wow! What? Um, oh yeah, it, that makes sense like, to me right away. He yeah. he would like put like those Flynn type, just super super quick weird fills into odd places. Right. But do but right. do it in a very capable way. Well, it's um, fluid. It's fluid enough, or right. yeah, like you said, it's capable. It's it's so rhythmically on point and lots of hits in a very short period of time. And like you said, placed oddly. So not only are you surprised by it, you're impressed, and it's over before you know it. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. know? yeah right, right. <laughs> oh shit, did that happen? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, lots to be said for each each member here. I want to mention too, Berkey. Uh, I saw them for the first and only time on this tour, and it was in Chicago. They were opening for Cannibal Corpse of all of all bands. I think the other band was everyone paid that price. <laughs> I, I, th I think the other band was Gorgots on Considered Dead, but I can't I can't be sure. Anyway, Berkey, I didn't know. Yeah, I knew he was left-handed, uh, and I knew Schaefer was left-handed. They had two left-handed guitarists, which was pretty awesome. But Berkey was one of those few who turned a right-handed guitar upside down, so his leads are being played at the top of the neck. Uh, closer to his head you know for people who can't visualize this or i'm explaining it horribly but i just find that to them it's very natural because these are guys that played by ear they just picked it up and they they taught themselves and that's you know that's if you have a good ear you can do that but sure um, but as accomplished as he is and then how odd it seems to the rest of us in the world uh, to watch this i just i almost didn't pay attention to anything and they had that guy darren on bass at the time mm -hmm. Oh yeah, Darren McFarlane. Yes, who, who was also in Cynic for a very, very short while. He was killer, and, and I and I didn't know that Choi wouldn't be there, but I, but I was not let down. But I, I have to admit, I think I was just all eyes on Berkey. I've never seen it before. I've rarely seen it since. The last time I saw it actually was last year, just a few months ago. Bulldozer, the second guy they have in the band, not the original dude, but this other guy who's really fantastic, same kind of player and really good. Mm, um, mm. Yeah, so I just. It's a fascinating thing. Yeah, it is. I want to move on, but there's a couple of things I, I need to mention. One is at the end of Incarnation's Dream, if if a crazy listener wants to go back and actually re-listen to this episode and listen to that snippet, Schaefer's phrasing and delivery and attack is just like Martin Walkier from Sabbath. And I'm talking, I'm talking Sabbath, not Skyclad. He's he's attacking so hard, and the band are thumping with him. It's a very Sabbath moment. It's incredible how close it is. And I think. I recall reading that they were into that band at the time. Like this was something. Oh, they had to be. And think about the, think about Schaefer's lyrics too. Oh yeah. The yeah. guy has to be a Martin Walkier fan. Yeah. Uh, okay. That's, that's. And, and, and too, like Sabbath was such a raging band too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like in spite of their, you know, their finesse and nuance. I mean, they were super aggressive band, but. Yeah, no, I do. That is that's a man. That's genius point. I've never well, heard anybody bring those two things together. But like you were, that's I, dude, that's totally on the money. I've heard it before. Well, thank you. I've heard it before. Well, I, I, I haven't. Have, but have to bring yeah, it up. Yeah, had to bring it up. I think Sabbath were also raging atheists, following a gory end. So you know, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Can I mention that we didn't we didn't know we didn't really mention how Ravage was. Uh, yes 
you know, yeah, stood the, for they, 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 yeah, right. rage, raging atheists vowing a gory end. And of course they turned the name into atheists. We didn't even explain that. So that's, that's horrible, radical research on our part. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was, and the psychic saw really a, a highlight for me. Mother man is another highlight. We didn't even play it. Um, uh, but I had a, a roommate and a guy that was in my band, Bill Pagotti. He was the drummer, great drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, he was only on the cusp of like what was happening in metal at the time, but he was interested in human. He was interested in beneath the remains. And when I would play this album, he was in a creator, wasn't he? Yes. Creator. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But, but he was, a, he was funny because his main shit was like game theory or I mean, any number of sort of these, what I found at the time, twee kind of indie rock bands amongst other things. But anyway, so, so he would dip in and out, but he'd hear me playing this album all the time. And on the psychic saw, he actually a beat for me apart from some doors song that, you know, that pulsing melodically kind of modulating part in in psychic saw. It is exactly like a doors song. And these guys I know are into the doors. So we, we, we'd say we hate the doors, but if that provided that inspiration, then I'm good with it. You just ruined my weekend. So no matter what, you 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 can't say like a, a molecule of positive about the doors no not right now no not right now okay no I, I, I might try to come around to that but no, not that's right fair. now that's no, fair no. that's no. fair before we move on to elements actually around the time around the time that elements was recorded but it, it you know wasn't announced uh, i don't think a lot of people knew what the lineup was going to be you know pre-internet days obviously i've started my fanzine symposium and for the first issue i had some contacts i certainly had contacts at roadrunner and other places but um you know it was pretty early days and um this was 92 um so between unquestionable and elements i just wanted to talk to atheists and i had really i I guess i didn't have a contact at, at metal blade but i thought i was in touch with somebody there i don't know who knows but i guess you could do this at the time i called down to wherever it was sarasota florida or wherever i found that they were living asked for Rand Berkey and Kelly Schaefer information uh, from the information. What, what was that number you used to call? Was it like a, it was like a- It was 411. 411, okay, yeah. yeah. And um, and they gave it to me. And I told- <laughs> you, you, you can call 411 and literally ask for any zip code, <laughs> like any- uh, it was- They'd probably, they'd probably give you the- They'd probably give you the weather and the movie report too, so. They would. Uh, movie um, schedule, movie phone. Yeah. But um, yeah, so anyway, I did this and I cold called either Kelly or Rand and they were like super psyched, but it, it didn't even seem surprising to them almost. I was just like, hey, I'm doing the zine and you know, I know this person and that person and I've written for this zine and that zine. Like I'm doing my own. Do you want to talk? They're like, yeah. So we talk. And then like they, one of the other hooked me up with one of the other it was Kelly and Rand was the interview. Uh, and I did them separately and put them together in the, in the zine. But um. So, but it seemed at the time, um, I didn't, they didn't even tell me that Flynn was kind of not really part of the, of the next album. They told me about certainly Kelly, his love for like Soundgarden and, and, and the Seattle scene, which at the time, and still I'm a, I'm a Pearl Jam fan. I'm a Soundgarden fan. Like I was like, oh, somebody gets it. You know, I'm glad some other metalhead into this shit also gets that stuff. And in, anyway, it was just kind of funny because, you, you know, it just seems so weird now to, to just call up, you know, like, Hey, uh, can you give me, um, you know, Beth Shouldener's number. I want to talk to her about her brother. (laughs) Anywho, let's move on to elements. I'm curious what your thought was when this came out, not only in terms of just the direction and the production, which we certainly have to talk about, but also the, Uh, um, the, the membership change. Yeah. It, it it took a while. It took a long while for me. And as you know, I love this record to death. And over time I have come to value it 
very nearly as much as the first two. Yep. I, I think it is really like probably their most creative record in a lot of ways. Yeah. I feel like that it is someone um, who is bending to the pressure around him and is responding to that in kind. There, there are flaws for sure. Um, I actually think the drumming is quite good. Um, and I think the drumming is appropriate to the album. I, I don't know that Steve Flynn would have sounded all that great in his typical resting state. I wonder. Um, I'd really like to know. We'll never know. I, 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 yeah, and I would be curious, but like this material is so much more open, um, so much more spacious. Um, I, I feel like the drumming is quite musical. And, and that's a, let's let's give props to Josh Greenbaum, who wasn't even sure. pictured by the time the album came out. Marcel DeSantos yep. was in yep. on drums. And Tony Choi comes back, thankfully, yep. to kind of keep some of that continuity. And uh, Rand. And Rand comes back. And of course, Kelly Schaefer, uh, rhythm, guitar, and vocal. Kelly was starting to move away from guitar at this time. And of course, yeah. as we know later, completely gave it up. Yeah. I, I think that was, was that for like some tinnitus? Tinnitus, or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, but always a singer. And then we have Frank Emmy on lead guitar, which I have some weird memory of, of King Folly, of all people, telling me he had, like he had gone to school with Frank Emmy or he knew the guy. I just thought it was a weird. Frank Emmy's a, a fantastic guitarist there. Absolutely. No, I mean, that's the thing. They This is still atheist through and through. Uh, I want to get really in the weeds for just a half second. The best atheist logo and depiction of that atheist logo, uh, and I know only seven people care about this in the entire world, and maybe maybe not even including you, but um, is on the back cover of Elements and, and also the back page of the original booklet. Yep. What is that color? It's like this sort of dirty green, but it's solar and, and cosmic and that... <laughs> Dude, that dude, that logo kills me. I just love. I want. I love. It. I, I don't know that that's in the crayon spectrum. Um, uh, dude, it's so. I love it. I just love yeah. that. It's the best atheist logo for whatever <laughs> that's worth. Boy, let's let's listen to air. This is special stuff.
I love the lead guitar work at the end of that snippet on air. I love so much about this. One thing that comes to mind is like, I think when this album first came out, like you, I, it took me a little longer to get into and, and finally lock into. And now I put it on the high pedestal with the other two. I I remember calling you once, maybe a few listens ago saying, yeah, this is my favorite atheist album. I don't know if I can say that now, but I think all three are my favorite atheist album. <laughs> in some let, weird let, way. Let's just stay there. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that's, that's where I'm always going to be. I think so. Uh, but anyway, the production used to sound really strange to me. Mm-hmm. And I think I get why, but I think I've acclimated so much to it and love it so much now after not really loving it at first that I don't question it. Or I don't think I even hear it so much anymore. It used to be that this album... Say it's, it's an unquestionable production. <laughs> <laughs> and let's talk about that production. Sorry. It's, it, it's got a weird sound. Yeah, and um, it, it was weird, like that guy, um, was it Mark... Uh, Mark Pinsky. Mark Pinsky. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, uh, Malevolent Creation chose to do Stillborn with him that same year. Not a well-regarded album. Because of the production. Right. The, I mean, song-wise, that record's not all that different from Retribution. I don't hear many deficiencies in it relative to Retribution, but it's just a weird sounding album. Do you know what and, else he did? No. Do you know what, do you know what oh, else? Sa- Saigon Kick? No, Mark Pinsky also, well, maybe he did, but I, uh, he did Killing Addiction, a, uh, a recording in 1994, and then um, of, of a split. So that's weird. I guess maybe that's Florida because he seems to be working. Killing with Addiction was a JL band, right? Yeah, I think so. Yep. Now, go, now, beyond that, Fear of God's Toxic Voodoo, which was not only not even close uh, to the first album in, in no, any way, shape, no, or form, but no. also not a good production. And demented Ted's promises impure, which I just don't which is really, a great yeah don't one really of the care classic about classic <laughs> albums of the nineties. Yeah, I saw them live once. Mm. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, demented Ted. So it's a weird. Why way. wouldn't they just call their band Demented? Well, well, that's that's see, that's the cleverness of it. Demented Ted. It's like the oh, dude, it's double like, Ted, dude. Do we got two Ted's? Two Ted's and men um <laughs> anyway uh we should probably not do this in the morning we've, we've been drinking too much caffeine i think um <laughs> but yeah so what a weird resume okay also the guy mark pinsky was the live sound en- engineer and did recording for frank zappa from 1980 until 1987 uh, really yes i did um, not know that well there you go and, and if the atheist guys knew that at the time i'm sure they were all about that Oh, I'm sure they would have (laughs) lost their minds, man. Yeah. They would have been right up there. Yeah. For sure. So anyway, a little bit of Mark Pinsky in the production. But um, like I said, it doesn't sound so weird to me anymore. It doesn't sound weird to me. And the first time I got it was on cassette. I got a promo of it on cassette. And I think I had that for a few years before. I was like, yeah, this is not going to suffice. Like, I got to get a real copy. Um, And then I got. Well, I had a legit cassette copy. Yeah, and it was released on Metal Blade. We should mention that because they jump right from Death Records to Metal Blade itself, the parent company, which they should have been on all along. And yep. interestingly, this copy that I have, which I think is the original CD, has a Warner Brothers logo on it. So there's some distribution there when Metal Blade was hooked up with Warner Brothers. So I love that this album Elements has a Warner Brothers logo on it. It's just kind of weird. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> yeah, it's like seeing a you know a Columbia logo or a Sony logo or whatever on an earache album. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we saw a few of those, didn't we? Yep. Okay, let's move on to mineral and earth. Uh, you picked these, and I-, I thanked you by text a few days ago for picking mineral because uh, mm-hmm. I I just love the syncopation, the 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 approach of this song. Uh, to- total favorite of mine. One of their best, yeah. Anything to say about Earth? Uh, yeah. I picked this one because I like the song. Two, it's got this break with this super primitive, like Florida bass um, drum machine thing that they clearly were playing in real time because it's not in time. And I don't know if like the album wasn't recorded to a click track Mm. or if they didn't have any way to snap the drum machine thing into a grid or whatever. But I I love the imagination that it shows. Yeah. Um, It's not, you know, we're not like disharmonic orchestra territory here, but I I just love that they are clearly a band um, that's looking to go other places. But I, I, I also am quite charmed by its flaws you know what i mean yeah it's a band that's like sort of using the resources at its disposal and it doesn't quite know what to do with them um but it's still gonna do but it's kind of fearless i love that and i wonder if the if that vibe if that feeling has anything to do with the lineup shifting at the time you know flynn's out mm. uh they got two new guys one guy didn't that's pictured didn't even play in the record so there's a lot of guys coming in out of atheists at the time yeah right right let's listen to mineral let's listen to earth crazy. we'll talk even a little bit more i want to mention um the segues on this album that we haven't even touched um before we get out uh yeah one of my uh yeah one of my favorite segues of all time that i was really really tempted to put as a snippet so yeah we'll talk about that Interesting. Okay, cool. Well, this is Mineral and Earth.
everything we've said about mineral and earth, we don't need to say again, but I think we brought out the the kind of points. But um, this is another point in our podcast concept where uh, I feel like we do a disservice to the album because it's just not, we can convey snippets. That's all we've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think this is one of those many albums that is so, so impactful front to back, undistracted listen. So many reasons. Uh, I really like the flow of the titling, the aesthetic uh, of elements, green, water, air, animal, mineral, fire, earth, and elements, uh, the main songs. And then we have four segues, if I count Mm -hmm. right, that are really interesting. One, Samba Brisa, that is a kind of a choy piece, super Latin, super weather report, unadorned, no metal. That's about two minutes long. It's the third track. What was the one that you um, said was your favorite? So, yeah, See You Again, which okay. was written by Frank Emmy and is the penultimate track on the album. And I, I just think it is such a beautiful, moving piece. It always gets me. Yeah, so 1993, the big climax in tech metal and Elements is right there with other similarly titled albums <laughs> like Spheres and Dimensions, and we'll throw Focus in there. Mm-hmm. Um, the big four, perhaps. Um, mm-hmm. Do we do we do we have a big four of 1993? Would that be it? Uh, Nemesis would probably be the big five by Oblivion. We need to mm-hmm. mention. Sure, sure. Okay, fair enough. And then they disappear, as a lot of these bands did at the time, or or just went through a period of pulling back, um, changing, not being productive. Uh, Atheist broke up legit for quite a few years. And then came back with an album called Jupiter. Uh, Steve Flynn was back on drums, always welcome, but then Rand Berkey uh, is nowhere to be found, which is a little bit of a bummer. Um, mm. They got uh, a couple younger guys in the band, Jonathan Thompson and Chris Baker, who took care of guitar and bass. Never will put this up there with the three from the 90s. I could never do it. But it's still Atheist, and it's still good. Uh, my only complaint with this album, uh, possibly the too modern production, there's something about it that's a little bit brick-walled, but not terribly, so uh, I've heard much, much worse. But also that um, it gets a little tiring near the end. There's something about it that doesn't quite have the stamina of the other ones. Mm. Uh, but I think the beginning of this album is really strong. 
we're simply going to play a, a snippet from Second to Sun, and then I want to get your response because you have such a very different relationship with this album, or not at all have a relationship with this. I album. don't. I don't have a relationship with it. sad right now which way sad that i haven't checked this out before <laughs> yeah i mean that's, that's strong it's very strong i don't know i i guess i hold atheist in in such tremendous regard that i was just afraid when they came back that i would be disappointed because it's kind of a sacred thing for me i i remember it being curious and, that that you and i hadn't shared much about this back in 2010 when it came out yeah on, on season of mist by the way another very cool label yeah for sure yeah yeah released a man all kind of awesome shit yeah from uh yeah that that yeah we love um early oxaplegates baby oxaplegates um mayhem uh mayhem that was going the for little, a little declaration uh, little rocker little, 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 yeah war. little yeah little <laughs> Little band out of Norway you might have heard of. Go by the, go by the name of Mayhem. Little toe tapper called uh, Grand oh. Declaration of War. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that boy uh, could do some picking. That blast boy could. Boy could. <laughs> Tell you. Anyway, got got, yeah, boy, yeah. got boy got some feist in his right hand. <laughs> so yeah. you were. Right. So you were. Um, I, yeah. Afraid um, of you. You didn't want to be crestfallen. You know, it'd be like meeting a hero, or yeah. something. You know. Um, and I didn't want to be, and that so much time had passed. 
and not just so much time, but like things have just changed so yeah. much. Um, yeah. It just scared me. Um, and I just had sort of rather have preserved, you know, atheist in, in, you know, the amber of my memory. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I have to say I'm, I'm impressed. Well, you have Steve Flynn and Kelly Schaefer. And I think yep. as long as you have two of the main elements, we'll say, of the original. Uh, oh, sh yes. Shall we say? The, um, the, uh, the unquestionable core of atheists. Yeah. If you have two of them, I think they've, they've proven with elements and now this that you can make it work. I don't. I wish there was a, uh, a string player that was from that core, though. Mm. I guess it's just one of those major components. But again, not... Not terribly disappointed with this one. Like I said, I think it peters out near the end, but um, you would do well to get a copy hunter because I think that this is, it's true enough. And well, it's it's true atheist. It really is. And I, whether or not they come out with another thing, because that'll be yet another 12 years on. So uh, yeah, who knows? At least, yeah. Uh, but we're going to leave you with Fraudulent Cloth, the third song from the album. Cool song title. For sure. Well, they've always been about that. And there's That's a lot of those too, yeah. all yeah. over the catalog. Just wanted to thank you for listening. This is um this has been this is an this is a show we probably would have done as uh, episode three or four. Yeah, I can't imagine why it's taken this long, but because clearly we love this band more than more than almost life itself. So mm. um want to remind you to visit radicalresearch.org if you want to support us, support the mission. You may hopefully Hunter's sounding uh better this episode than he has in a while. We've had some technical issues with doing it far away, you know, doing it remotely. Mm. Uh, over the years and and um yeah anything you can do because we're, we're, we're also looking to get uh some new mics i think we desperately need these mm. uh, to upgrade uh if you want to help with that you can go to radicalresearch.org and buy your copy of deserts of hex for a mere 13 dollars plus shipping i don't imagine shipping will be more than three bucks um, nope. beautiful 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 uh printed matter uh my books are there the two of them are and we appreciate your support Let's end with Fraudulent Cloth from 2010's Jupiter album. Right. Next episode, we'll tease it. We're going to go through the entire Burning Time album by a Wisconsin, mm. band, a Wisconsin band called Last Crack. Another one that you thought might have been our fifth episode. Yep. Here, we, here, we, here we go, <laughs> covering some pretty obvious territory for us. So yep. um, please hang with us.